I feel blessed to you. And I think, I think the blessing song always just kind of blesses me and blesses me again and again. Uh, at this point in the service, the children are being dismissed for their children's ministry. If there are any other children that need to go, I think the, the folks that are going to work with them are ready to take them at this time. We're in a series uh, that I've called Same Power, engaging uh, the power of resurrection. We've been looking at this uh, amazing section of scripture in Philippians, and we're going to be talking about the way that we think and what we think. The focus is this one uh, text, this one verse, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I, I'd like you to say that out loud together uh, and claim it uh, as uh, tonight what you desire, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Do you want to know him? And, and the scripture uh, word that is used means know him by experience, to experience Jesus and the power of his resurrection. That's our study. We began uh, looking at uh, what I've called a radical life reassessment. Uh, Paul talked about counting the things that are gain as loss. The things that we normally would say, well, th these are my treasures and my gains and my ranks and all of these kinds of things, achievements. But in comparison to knowing Christ as Savior, in comparison to him saving us, they are lost. And then counting our loss, the things that we say, oh, how can I lose this? It's really a moment of gain because what he gives us in return, what he fulfills, we're going to be looking at that even more next weekend. Uh, then we talked about responding to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, forgetting what is behind and pressing and straining forward toward what lies ahead to press on toward the goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing could be greater in all of life than to realize that, that Jesus has brought us into what he created us for, amen? I mean, that's, that's really, that nothing could be greater and more wonderful than that. And then he talked about setting a pattern of following uh, following along with others who pursue knowing Christ. Our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, looking to the lives of the apostles, what we read in scripture, and then surrounding ourselves with those who pursue a knowledge of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. You need people around you. How many of you know that? Say amen. <laughs> you need people around you who are pursuing Christ because that is the only way that we're going to make it, not just through the times that we're in, but into what he has ahead for us. Uh, we're in a part of the scripture now where he's applying this. And the Apostle Paul began applying this power of resurrection and knowing Christ. And, and this is where it really gets a hold of us, is when we apply it uh, in, into specific areas. We talked first about a resurrection power in relationship. You know, if, 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 the, if the power of Jesus doesn't change relationships and heal relationships, then the world looks on and they say, well, what, what good is it? What good is that if, if you have all these broken relationships? And so he spoke to that at the beginning of chapter 4. And then the resurrection power in, in praise and prayer. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And then don't worry about things, but lift your concerns. Lift whatever it is that's troubling you uh, to the Lord in prayer. 
in conversation with God. And then the third is what we're going to talk about, the third application. And there's one more after this next weekend, but uh, the resurrection power in our thinking. How we think makes such a difference. So let's look at Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. I want to invite you to stand as we give full attention to the word, as we give full attention to the voice of God as he speaks here among us. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Now let's pray. Father God, we want the God of peace to be with us. We want so very much to walk in resurrection power. Lord, show us how by the way that we think, by the way that we focus our minds, that we might find that in Jesus' name, amen. Resurrection living really begins with resurrection thinking. So much of what we experience in life has to do with our minds and our thoughts. You know, every once in a while you stop and you realize it, that our thoughts have the power to either paralyze us or propel us. The way that we think, directs so much in our lives. Our thinking can thrust us into the depths of despair or lift us to the heights of celebration. And it all has to do with where we turn our minds, how we focus. How we think can center us in truth and, and we find ourselves living in truth or lead us into deception. And we find ourselves floundering and, and adrift. So resurrection power really begins with how we think and what we think about. You know, if you just look around a little bit, you realize that we live in a world that sometimes seems out of control. I didn't hear an amen. <laughs> uh, you know, it just, I've talked to people more and more who say, I just don't even watch the news anymore because I just am not sure how to process it. I'm not sure what I can do. There's so little that I can control. I would suggest to you that every one of us has influence. We have a sphere of influence, but often it's, it's in the close places and relationships. And there's very little that we can actually control. That's the frustration. I, I would listen to the news all the time because I used to be kind of a news junkie, but you kind of hit a point where you say, I can't fix any of this. I can educate myself and vote and try, try to be of influence. But the places I find where I can be of influence, we just got back from uh, a trip to see family out in Colorado and little four-year-old Liberty. And she says, Papa, can I spend some time with you? Can I rub your feet? I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> and just spending some time with her and reading a book with her and sharing in some special time. Wow, that influence. I believe it's world changing and that's the spot 
that I look to so very much. But we also realize that as we look at the world around us, we can get pretty frustrated. We pray for the people, we pray for the concerns, we pray for the nations of the earth, and we sometimes wonder, God, are you listening? Because I, I keep praying, and I'm not sure that you've heard us. And Paul has some answers that declare an answer for us. Verse 8, he says, finally, brothers. Now, let me just take a little aside here. When a preacher says, finally, uh, that doesn't mean very much. <laughs> he said, finally, at the beginning of chapter 3, and now we're midway through chapter 4, and he says, finally. So, I'm just being honest about this. But he says, finally, brothers, think about these things. Say that with me. Think about these things. You know, I, I was reflecting on this and meditating on it. And one of the things that makes us uniquely human is that we can think. I love animals. I really love them. I believe animals have emotions. I, I know that animals learn and they have reactions, but they don't think. I, I don't think they think. I can't get inside their head. But the thing that makes us uniquely different from the animal kingdom as humans is that God gave us the ability to think. And what does that mean? To, to ruminate, to strategize, to plot things, figure things out. We can consider an action and a reaction that will happen. We can, we can think about cause and effect. We can think about truth and consequence. And I would suggest to you that thinking is our superpower. You know, it's kind of, uh, people ask these days, it's popular to say, what is your superpower? I would suggest that for every one of you, thinking is your superpower. Might be in a different arena. Mike, you think about, about music in a way that uh, I don't, that no, I don't know anybody else that thinks about and solves problems in music the way that you do. I think about things. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but when something is broken around the house and I go, I don't know what to do with this. And I go to bed and then in the middle of the night, it comes to me and I think of how to fix, how to solve the problem. Scripture is what I think about a lot. And many times I figure out things in scripture. At times I never would expect. I'll study and study and I go, I, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get from this. And then I'll be out walking or something like that. And then, bing, we would say the light comes on. This is a gift from God that we are able to think. And it's such an, a powerful and important thing. Proverbs 23, 7, it's not in your notes, so you might want to jot it down. It says, for as one thinks within his heart, so he is. As one thinks within his heart, so he is. In other words, the way we think shapes life, destiny, character. The word that Paul used here is logizomai. Oh, boy, that's a nice, nice mouthful. But I, so I want you, that's our Greek lesson. Let's say that together. Logizomai. Say it again. Logizomai. It means to account or consider or esteem or impute or reckon. Anytime that you say, well, you know, I reckon this is what it's talking about. I thought about this. I think about this. And he says we need to be careful what we think about. It comes from the root word logos, which is uh, the, the same as uh, in the beginning was the word, the logos. And the word was with God, Christ himself. And the word was God. 
And we are born with this access to God reflection in our lives, which is an access to moral reasoning. It's why we are able to reason and make decisions that are moral because we have the reflection of God in us, but it's broken by sin. That, that access is broken by sin. And so that's what redemption is about. That's what resurrection is about, is to heal our minds and our hearts so that we can have what I'm going to call the, well, the scripture calls the mind of Christ. And without this knowledge of Christ, without this resurrection power, our thinking is bent away from God. That hymn I, I love that says, take away my bent towards sinning uh, is so powerful. Uh, that's a, a scriptural term, the bent towards sinning. So as resurrected people, it makes a difference where we focus our minds. That's the one thing that we have the ability. We have the ability to point. We have the ability to choose. You know, you don't have an ability to control what comes into your mind, but you have the ability to control what you do with it, to to move it aside, to focus on something else, to turn your thoughts toward God or toward scripture. Paul says, think about these things. Oh, and and he goes through a list. That's the next slide, I think. Uh, Maybe two slides. There we go. There we go. Uh, Think about these things, whatever in verse eight, whatever is true, and, and it actually is a negative participle. It means whatever is not a lie. I mean, that's a different way of saying true. Whatever is not concealment, whatever is not hidden. And so whatever isn't clouded and shrouded, whatever is transparent before us, think about those things. Whatever is honorable, honest and venerable, commanding respect or dignity, unnoble in character. I was thinking about the students that were up here and about this season of life. This is the graduation month. And we need to celebrate because these are things that are true. These are things that are honorable that we see in our, in our society, in our community, in our church. Think about these things. Think about whatever is just. There's a lot of talk about justice. I'm going to be talking about that this summer in the study that we're going to do in the Minor Prophets. Um, equitable in character, innocent or holy, righteous. Whatever is pure, properly clean, modest, chaste. Think about these things. Whatever is lovely, and, and literally that means friendly or acceptable, we might, we might define lovely in a variety of ways. We might think a, a, a flower or a bouquet is, is lovely or a dress is lovely, but it means to be friendly and acceptable in Greek. Commendable, reputable, well-spoken of or of good report. And then he says, any excellence, that's what we're celebrating with students uh, this weekend and this month. Any excellence, val- and it literally means valor or manliness in the best sense of that, praised in having virtue, and then wor- anything worthy of praise, laudation and, and commendable for praise. These are the things we should think about. It gives us a framework. When thoughts come into our mind, we could just run it through the grid and say, well, how does that fit here with these eight things? And literally, these are the description of Christ. 
As people of the resurrection, this is the one arena that we can control and direct. We can decide what we think. You can't decide what's going to happen to you, right? Amen. We can't control the things that may happen to us. We can control what we think, how we react, how we respond. If someone barks at you out the window in the parking lot or on the road or whatever, the only choice we have is how we think, where we focus our mind, how we place uh, our thoughts. This is a picture actually of Christ. It's amazing, these eight. Scripture teaches us that we have the mind of Christ. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In other words, we're never going to be able to tell what God what to do, right? I mean, that's a little bit foolhardy. We can tell God what we want. <laughs> I do that all the time. We can tell God what we need. I tell God that all, all the time. But we can't instruct God on what he's supposed to do because you know what? He's God and he's been God a lot longer than you've been whatever you are, right? But listen to this. But we do have the mind of Christ. We're never in a position to instruct God, but we have available the mind of Christ. What does that mean? Christ in us will give us everything we need to think and to know. Sometimes it may be knowledge that's beyond you. It, it's amazing. I mean, it's described in scripture as a gift of knowledge. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. I've had it happen and when it was so clear, it probably happens more often than I think. But a moment in which God puts something in my mind that I should not know, could not know, have no way to know, and it's the answer. And also, sometimes it's wisdom. It's, it's a way of, of finding uh, our, our way through a problem, and it becomes clear. It's a way of solving things. Christ in us gives us everything that we need to think and know. And from the moment we are saved, we have that power. It's a power of resurrection thinking. The power to rise above the things that are petty. The power to rise above things that are contrary or harmful. The, the thought patterns that would, would weigh us down and, and mire us. We have available a, a knowledge as needed and, and a wisdom to pursue him in any circumstance. And we, we have available to us the ability to take hold of the mind of Christ and, and, and as we discipline our own mind, hear clearly what we need to know. Well, how do we do that? Scripture talks about it. Resurrection thinking is actually an arena of warfare. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, why don't we uh, read this out loud together? I think it would be good to read it out loud. Ready? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. There's two critical parts of that scripture. 
The first is uh, that I'm going to lift up is to take every thought captive. Now, it's the second part of the scripture. But he says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion and take every thought captive. That's the first thing that you do. We have to take control of what our minds do. And we actually have that ability. And it starts when we accept responsibility for our thoughts. I'm responsible for what I think about. You're responsible right now for what you're thinking about. Whether you're distracted or focused, whether you're in the scripture or not. The first thing in the morning, where your mind goes is a decision that you make. And so we choose where we're going to set our mind and put our mind. And then ask ourselves some questions. Am I feeding myself deception or truth? And the things that we read, the things that we watch, the things where, where we gather information, all of that's really important. Where do you get your information? Am I thinking in ways that are self-focused or God-focused? And I think maybe this is more important than ever in the world that is around us right now. Am I engaging in thoughts that are destructive or productive? It's so easy to get into the destructive swirl instead of the, the productive process. The second thing, uh, and, and it's actually first in the scripture, is to destroy the thoughts that are opposed to the knowledge of God. We don't destroy all our thoughts. That's what they do in cults. They say, destroy all your thoughts. Just set aside all of your thoughts. Don't think. That's what they do in some political movements. They say, don't think. Just do what you're told. And so we, we, need, to, we need to be careful of that. But destroy the thoughts that are opposed to the knowledge of God. That's what we need to, to understand. Arguments, uh, the word here means imaginations. It doesn't mean destroy your imagination because there's so much that's marvelous about imagination, but those things that are opposed to the knowledge of God. Why don't you say that with me? Opposed to the knowledge of God. Those things that are opposed to God, the reasonings, the excuses, uh, the self-justifications. And then the second thing, he talks about our lofty opinions. It's such an interesting word because it means uh, an elevated place. The, the, in Israel, there were the elevated places where idol worship went on. The places of idolatry or an elevated thing where we, something has been lifted up and it's being lifted up higher than God. It can be an attitude. Sometimes there's an attitude, isn't there? or a barrier that keeps us from approaching God. Any opinion that places itself higher than God, the knowledge of God or the word of God, and sometimes, sometimes this is what creeps in. It just sort of creeps into the church and into teaching where we say, well, I know God said that, but I think I know better. I know God said that, but I think I have a better understanding that is above what God has said. You know, in warfare, the enemy um, uses psyops, it's called, psychological warfare. And, uh, and I believe our enemy, Satan, is a master of psyops. Uh, and what is that? What is psyops? It's using fear to defeat, uh, uh, to defeat us or using fear to defeat an enemy. In fact, the primary tool of Satan is simply fear and lies. Uh, all he has to do is lie to you. 
a little bit. And that deception really is the trade craft of the enemy, the trade craft of Satan. And fear, what does it do? Fear opens the door to hate. If, if the enemy can get you to fear someone, he's very close to getting you to hate someone. And, and we see this a great deal right now. I, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the division in the world, the division in our nation, and a lot of it has to do with fear that is then turned into hate. Let me put it this way. If the enemy can convince you, if the enemy can convince you, I think, is that the next slide perhaps? All right, there we go. If the enemy can convince you uh, that God does not love you, if the enemy can convince you that God does not have your best in mind, if the enemy can convince you that God has somehow forgotten about you, if the enemy can convince you that you're a victim, you're a victim in this world. If the enemy can convince you that your enemies are all around you, if the enemy can convince you that you don't need God, he has won. He doesn't have to do anything much more than that. That's the next click. There you go. He's won, and it negates the cross. You know, um, this week I saw uh, a meme that I posted, I shared, and it, it said this. It said, the serpent did not tempt Adam and Eve to steal, kill, or commit adultery. He simply tempted them to question God's word. And, and that's exactly what happened. He doesn't have the power to do a whole lot of things, but if he can get you to question God's word. Do you remember this conversation in Genesis chapter three? The serpent says, did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? That's it. That's the beginning. And then the answer comes back, well, no, but God did say, if you touch this one tree, you'll die. And that wasn't true. That wasn't what God said. And the serpent said back, oh, you won't die. God knows your eyes will be open. See, he doesn't have your best in mind. If the enemy can convince you that God doesn't have your best in mind, the slippery slope has begun and we are on our way out. Even Adam engaged in that sort of argument and the lofty opinions of the serpent rather than trust what they knew about God. So how do we battle those lies? We battle with the truth, with the word. Hebrews chapter four says, for the word of God is living and active. Let's read this out loud together. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word is the one place that will separate and pull aside the motives that are not of God from the motives and motivations that are of God. I was thinking about it this week and I was remembering the story of David and Bathsheba, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And, uh, and it, it begins by saying that in the spring of the year when armies uh, are out fighting and defending, David stayed in Jerusalem. He was not in the place where he was supposed to be. And he went walking on the rooftop and while he was on the roof, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. Now, bathing in Israel means a mikvah bath and no clothes, just so you know. 
But he had the highest place, and he, he looks, and he sees this beautiful woman bathing, and he got an idea. I think I'll send for that woman. And then he was warned. He had wives, but he was warned, uh, well, now isn't that the wife of Uriah the Hittite? He's, he's actually at war fighting to defend Israel. And David knew the law, and the law says, do not covet the spouse of another person and do not commit adultery. And he may have even had all sorts of excuses. Well, I just want to check on her welfare. You know, I mean, her husband's off to war. I should just check on her and make sure she's okay. Well, two verses later, she's pregnant. <laughs> That's how it can happen. And the truth is that when we separate ourselves from the truth, and when we separate ourselves from the people who are walking in the truth, we are vulnerable to the father of lies. And the lies come. Many times the lies, have you, have you seen that many times the lies are half-truths? And, and, you know, we talk about fake news or, you know, this and that. Many, many times it, it's a half-truth. And it's the same thing with the enemy. The, the enemy may say something like, you failed, and therefore God hates you. Well, half of that is true. I did fail, but God does not hate me because the word says he doesn't hate me. I've loved you with an everlasting love. The enemy may say, well, you sinned, and, and, and God can never use you. Well, yes, I did sin, but that doesn't mean that I can show you all these people, even David. <laughs> That God did use. So God continues to use us. It's popular these days to ask this question. Where are you getting your news? You know? I mean, sometimes you talk to people and, and you say, I can tell by your conversation where you're getting your news. But I, it occurred to me, perhaps we should ask this question. Where do you get your truth? It's, it's much more important. It's much bigger than where you're getting your news. It's much more important. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, someone who follows me uh, gave, um, put this onto social media. And, and, and everything you see up there, it's a Palestinian loss of land. This is a current, uh, a current situation. And it does concern the church and, and the word in the Bible. Um, but the Palestinian loss of land from 1947 to present, everything you see up there is true. Everything you see. The tremendous loss of land. Let me go through it. The land of Israel had almost zero Jewish control. Go to the next slide. There we go. Uh, and, and Palestine in 1947. No, no, no. Go back. Um, Palestine in 1947 had this little bit. The white part is the, is the Jewish control. Hardly anything. And then, uh, and then after that, the UN partitions uh, of land ended the British mandate, and there was a lot more land that was uh, for the Jewish people after World War II, and that occurred. And then in the next slide, Israel had to fight a war for independence and, and ended up with this situation in 1949. They were then attacked in 1967 by Jordan, Syria, and Egypt, and the, what remained is that next picture. So it was much more Jewish control much more Israel control, much less, quote, Palestinian control. And all of that is true, but there's more to the story. If you go back in Scripture, 
the first nation to settle in this land uh, was the, the nation of Israel in 1240 BC. And if you look there, if you click it once more, you'll see there's a circle. That is Palestine. The other name for it is Philistine, Philistine. That, that is the original name for Palestine. That's all there was. It's called Gaza today. So we see things in the media that say, oh, it's so terrible, so much has been taken away. We need to understand there's a bigger truth. There's a lot more that happened in between that, the Romans and all kinds of things. But Palestine is not actually the name of this land. Um, the, probably the oldest name is Canaan or Canaan. That's the name. But the first nation that was there was Israel. So the question is, where do we get our truth? Where do we get our truth? And, and it's so important that we clarify that. Isaiah 40 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, the word of our God, will stand forever. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, All scripture is God-breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word is so very important. That's where I need to find my truth. That's where you need to find your truth. That's where the renewal of the mind takes place. So Paul says we have to put truth into practice. The last part of this uh, passage, uh, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen. I love that, those four different words. What you've learned, you learn it, and then you receive it, and heard it, and seen it in me, seen it in, in practice. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Join in imitating me as I imitate Christ. So part of the question is, who, do you get, who are you gathering around you? Who, are, who do you have in your, it's popular these days to say, who is your tribe? And it doesn't mean that you should not be associated with people in the world because that's the only way that the world will know Christ. But it is so important that we have around us people who are, who are giving us wisdom, who are walking in wisdom. Paul gives us two pathways to peace. And I think that's in the next slide there. And uh, I've got some some scriptures from Proverbs there for you. But two pathways to peace, and the first that he gave us is rejoice and pray. That's the first one that he gave us. Choose not to be anxious and instead lift your worries and concerns and requests, and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. The second is, is to think on these things. And he says it differently. If we discipline our mind and gather around us those who pursue God, if we practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. Listen to the difference. The peace of God be with you. The God of peace be with you. It's so powerful and just a little different, but so very powerful. Knowing the power of his resurrection impacts our thinking. And we need to know that. Our thinking is the contact point if we will receive and hear and see. So the big question is, what about you? 
Because all of this is application. This part is not just a little Bible study thing. Oh, I'm glad I learned that. Glad I know that. It's a what about you? Is there some refocusing that you need to do? Is there uh, an area of thought life that you need to take captive? Are there strongholds that you need that you know you need to demolish? Uh, is there, you know, sometimes we call it stinking thinking <laughs> that, you, that you need to get rid of. Some arguments that you need to destroy. Some lofty opinions that you need to eradicate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, you are available to us by your spirit and by your word to bring the renewing of our minds. There's so much filth in this world. So, so many things that are anxious and contentious and, and unfair and violent. There's so many half-truths, so many lies. God, we pray that you would renew our minds. Focus us on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely whatever is commendable, anything of excellence, anything that is praiseworthy. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts, work in our lives and our families, in our community and in our nation. In Jesus' name.